You don't know Jay before this. You wouldn't have hung out with me, I guarantee you that. I, I wouldn't have hung out with him. Well, we met at Pepsi Cola, right? Jay worked back in vending maintenance or something like that, and I worked up front in the office. Mm -hmm. And I'd drive by and wave out my moonroof. <laughs> she thought I was cool. <laughs> Not really. Something like that. Yeah. We were supposed to go on a date. And, oh, I'm sick. And you were sick. But then all of his friends drug him out. They did drag and, me out. And they, they went shining and yep. they drove were by your house. Silly because they drove by our house. That was a mistake. And then down the road they had to stop and take a potty break. And I'm like, what is going on out there? Oh, Jay's out there. But he was too sick to go on a date. <laughs> it was all the friends. They made you do it. Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah. <laughs> we, we dated for about six months and got engaged. And then we got married on April the 2nd. So we're coming up on 35 years. Still going strong. People at Pepsi, years after we've been <clears throat> married, they're just like, man, you've really changed Jay. And I'm like, no, I didn't change Jay. He decided it was time to grow up. <laughs> yeah. oh, they're so good. I love Jay and Tammy, man. Uh, yeah, <clears throat> they're at our Vincennes campus and uh, they're actively involved in all the ministries there. And I'm thankful that you're here today at Washington and Vincennes and Princeton, all of our campuses. Those joining us online and even those in our venue here at Washington, in our fireside venue, I want to welcome all of you. My name is Matt, and if uh, you're joining us for the first time this Sunday, great time to join as we're in the middle of a series that we're titling, It's Complicated, But It Doesn't Have to Be. And if we could just get these relationship issues right from marriage to dating and courting and even the toxic, toxic relationships, maybe life can settle down for us and get a little bit more calm than chaotic. And we had decided from the very beginning, like at, at the beginning of this series, we're going to see what it is that God has to say about our relationships. And, and here's what he wants for us. Philippians chapter 2, verse 2, it simply says, live together in harmony with one, in love as though you only had one mind spirit between you. Now, that doesn't define a lot of our relationships. Like harmony and love is not a definition of marriage or maybe a definition of your dating relationship, maybe not be a definition of the relationship that you have with your employer uh, or a friend at this moment. But it says live together in harmony and in love in, in all of our relationships as though you had one mind. Some of you are like, I can't even get on the same page with my spouse, yet alone have one mind. It's like we have multiple minds in this relationship. And the Bible's sitting here saying, listen, this is the goal. This is the goal. You can achieve this. But friend, can I tell you, you can't achieve this under your own human, own human condition. Because our human condition is stuck in this place where it is sinful. And let me just kind of relay it on to you like this, that our relationships are problematic rather than peaceful because our sinful world has deeply corrupted our relationships. It's deeply corrupted the relationship that we can have with God. And that's the reason why Jesus Christ was sent to us because there's this, there's this barrier that our sin, our rebelliousness, our desire to do life our way rather than God's way has created. And it's created this barrier between us and God. And you can look at it as a roadblock, but it's a roadblock that you can't get through. 
But Jesus Christ has gotten through it. And Jesus Christ got through that because he endured a death that you and I deserve on the cross, a death that you and I should have endured, but because Christ Jesus took our place and his perfect life, his perfect righteousness now can cover our sins, his blood can cover our sins, we now can make a way to the Father when there was no way because of Jesus Christ. And that roadblock of our sin has been demolished because of our Savior. And you can have a relationship with God even though there's sin in this world, your sins can be covered because of Jesus. That's good news, isn't it? But our relationships with one another has also been corrupted by sin. And our most intimate relationships have been corrupted by sin. My sin, your sin, the sins of all of that has ever existed in this world have all kind of crashed down on our relationships and our most cherished relationships like husband and wife, parent to child, and friendships and family. And even our dating relationships have all been fractured because of the sinfulness that's within us and the sinfulness that's around us. The Bible says it like this in 1 John, for everything in this world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, don't don't those sound like the things that get us in trouble, especially in our dating relationships and our relationships with the opposite sex? The lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life comes not from the Father. Like all that stuff that you're feeling sometimes that you're like, this, this, it feels right, it must be right. That's not of God in that moment when it turns into sin, rebelliousness, and selfishness. He says, that's not from God. Where's that from? That's from the world. That's the world's reaction. And the world has always had a way that has gone contrary to God's way. And what I find so interesting is the church is always trying to catch up and always trying to counter the culture, even though the culture is light years ahead. And rather being proactive and in such topics like dating and courting and marriage, the church has been reactionary. And we find all these people that are drowning in their relationships, and the church is trying to throw ropes out to them and life preservers to them when we should have taught you from the very beginning how to swim. How to swim in sometimes what's called treacherous waters of relationship. And the church has thrown out counselors and relationship coaches and divorce recovery groups and crisis counselors and all that stuff's good, but it's just life preservers and ropes and, and, and lifeguards that are sent out to go get the drowning people in relationships rather than just saying, here's the truth about relationships. And when you get the truth and foundations about relationships right, your relationships will go well. Doesn't mean there's not going to be problems. Doesn't mean there's not going to be some kind of like turbulent water. But even though there is turbulence, you know that there is hope of calmer waters because Christ is in you and he can do a good work in you and through you in that relationship. And so church, listen, we've got to get real about this stuff. We've got to get real about our marriage, real about our dating, real about our courting. Some of you are like, listen, I've checked out a long time ago. You're talking about dating, I'm married. Listen, all this stuff's foundational for you. And some of you, last week, you checked out on marriage because you're like, listen, I'm not married, I'm, I'm single. Look at all this good, is good stuff for relationships if you just allow God to do a good work in you and apply it to your life because you need to know that what today is about is dating, but man, the intention behind dating is real simple. It's, it's dating will prepare us for marriage. And usually how you get your first step out of the gate is how you're gonna get your last step at the finish line. And I think there's some of us that have really believed that dating is something other than that, other than preparing us for marriage. But friend, if you have some other idea, other concept of why dating is out there, other than preparing yourself for a future spouse, you're going to find problems downstream and you're not teaching yourself how to swim. You're you're just going to find yourself drowning in a relationship one day. 
And that doesn't mean that the person that you're going to go on a date with is going to be a potential spouse. It might be one of these things like, you ever had a date where you're like, hey, we're done with that one. Like one and done, right? Kind of a deal. Someone had said dating's a lot like duck, duck, goose. Sometimes you just got to get ready to run. And dating is not a relationship. Did you hear me on that? Dating is not a relationship. You've turned it into that, but that's just been the way that we've, we've done it secularly, not biblically. Dating's not a relationship. Dating is a date. A cup of coffee. Let's get to know one another. But some of you, you throw all of your emotions into it. You're like, hi. And you're like, I do. Huh? What? And you've already, you've already automatically given your heart to somebody. And you're ready for more. When dating should just be really simple. And we've complicated it. I'm here to get to know you. I'm not here to do anything for you. I'm not here to give up anything for you. I'm here just to get to know you. And listen, if the date goes well, maybe do a second one and then a third one. If it keeps going well and you find you like this person, maybe you move into a word we don't use in the Western world anymore, courting. We're committed. Oh my goodness. We're going to pledge ourselves to each other. But some of you, like first date, you're like, so I guess I can never have another date with somebody else again now, I guess, right? We're like tied here. No, 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 that's not the way it is. The process should be preparing you for a lifelong, healthy, happy, monogamous marriage. And friends, here's the problem. The Bible doesn't say a lot about dating. (laughs) It doesn't say a lot about courting. It says a lot about marriage, but it doesn't say how to make it get there. And I think it's because the Western world has manipulated this idea. So many countries still are having these moments where it's like, listen, as a little kid, you're going to be married to this person. You don't know him yet, but we've arranged it. You're going to learn to love this person. You're like, whoa, that's scary stuff. But 80% of the time it works. And we have this idea that like, hey, we'll just get to know some people. But our problem is we've gone about it all wrong. We don't get to know them. We just move immediately to more intimate things. And that gets us into trouble. And the Bible does have some things to say about how to take it slow and how to grow in your relationship. The Song of Solomon is a, um, a, a letter of the Bible, but it's really a poetic form of romance. And uh, Solomon had a thousand different women in his life. He had 700 wives and 300 concubines. But the problem is women were the downfall of his kingship. So like he could never get it right. But one time he got it right. The very first wife that he married, he finally got it right. And he realizes, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like I did it wrong 999 times, but I got it right once. And, and I want to tell you, listen, I got it right once and I want to tell you how to get it right yourself. It's kind of like a parent that says, listen, when I was younger, I didn't do this well. I didn't get this right. But son, listen, you can get this right. I learned from my mistakes. And that's Solomon. And there is so much depth to what Solomon has to say. And he starts out by saying, hey, this is all for the daughters of Jerusalem. This is for all the single ladies of Jerusalem. That's why he writes this letter. Even before Beyonce, he's like, this is for all the single ladies. And he writes his, he writes his poetry and he does it in a way to say, here's how to start a healthy relationship. Here's where you begin. And even though you'll have lust and even though you'll have temptations to take it further or, or go another route or try to go ahead of knowing one another, here's how it best works. And what Solomon does is he gives us a glimpse of what it's it's like to put out the bait, to date, to relate, to wait, and consummate. Man, I wrote that. I was like, that was good. If you're really interested in the Song of Solomon, we did a series in 2018 that was called The Naked Truth. And it was about marriage and about dating and waiting and about sex. And it is saucy and you'll love it. And uh, you just go to one of our podcasts and enjoy uh, because the Song of Solomon has so much depth to it as it relates to our relationships. 
But one of the things that you're going to hear time and time again in that, in that book of romance is a phrase that he utters over and over again. Here's the phrase. It's on the screen. Do not arouse or waken love. I mean, it's like, it's just all throughout it. Do not arouse or waken love. And he's saying, there's feelings that I have for this woman. And man, these are new feelings. My heart's all pitter-pat and I can't, I don't know what to do here. And man, things are weird, man. I'm, I'm finding I'm feelings that I've never had before. And he's like, listen, what is this? And they find themselves in this position where they're lusting after each other's bodies. And they find themselves in a position where they're thinking about, you know what, maybe we should, we should just move on to the next step. I mean, we know that we know each other. We like each other. So let's just move on to the next. Let's just, let's just go in and dive in on all this lust stuff and they recognize that they're full of passion. And because they're full of passion, they have this, this desire for sexual awakening. And they want to advance that beyond trust. And they want to advance that beyond commitment. And they want to advance that beyond knowing each other. And then they're like, whoa, 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 stop, stop, stop. And Solomon's like, I got this right once. Got it wrong with 999 times, but I got it right once. Do not arouse or awaken love. Let's go about this the right way and let's, let's honor God and let's honor each other with this. So why do you think that Solomon's advice would be to all those that are dating, do not arouse or awaken love? Why do you think he would say, do not let sexual promiscuity be something that you allow within your dating or courting, you wait till marriage? Why do you think he would say that? Because he knows that the approach to a perfect relationship begins with knowing somebody before you go any further than that. And he is right in line with what Secular relationship counselors and psychologists are finding out today. Now, there's a book written by uh, Dr. John Van Epp. It's just simply tied, titled, How to Avoid Falling in Love with a Jerk. Some of you are like, oh, now you tell me. I'm always wondering too, like, does, is Amazon going to get all these, like, um, you know, hits today on this book from this little area? Be like, what has happened in southern Indiana that everybody wants this book today? And what Solomon teaches is what we find in this book. And he's just kind of putting back into place in a secular way what's most important in a relationship. And there's five parts to a relationship. Did you know this? It starts with knowing and then there's trust and then there's reliability, which leads to commitment, then leads to touch. If you just imagine those five parts of a relationship on a slider, like on a like an adjustment slider on a soundboard, you can kind of get an idea of your relationship status. And what he finds in that book is this thing called a relationship attachment model. It's just called a RAM. So here's what baseline it would look like. Real simple, no trust, rely, commit, touch. You don't know anything about them, so you don't trust them, you don't rely on them, you don't commit to them, you don't touch them, right? You don't know them, right? It's like a stranger right here. But here's what a healthy marriage would look like. So if you get an idea, all those are risen high, you know them, so you trust them. Because you trust them, you can rely on them. Because you rely on them, you commit to them. And then because you've done all those things, now touch, intimacy is really good. It's pleasurable. It's awesome. It's off the charts, right? But here's what happens in a broke down marriage where trust has been eroded. Some of you are like, this is a little too close to home because I'm a visual learner. And this is true of my relationship and marriage right now. I thought I knew them, but they broke trust. And because they broke trust, I don't think I knew them like I once knew them. So no goes down. I got to get back to knowing them some more. Trust is eroded because of that affair. Or trust is eroded because I found some dirt on them or they've hidden back something from me and it's hurt our relationship. Now I can't even rely on them. Like I can rely on them to pick up the kids, but I can't rely on them for anything else beyond that. And now that commitment's still there. And you're like, that's weird. Why would that be? Because as a Christian, you made a commitment, a covenant in marriage that says, never will I leave you. 
And even though you know them, and even though trust has eroded, don't complicate and confuse love and trust. Those are not the same. You can still have love and commitment and know that the person has broken trust and that they can build up trust over time. But here's what happens in a broken down marriage. Intimacy collapses when you lose trust, doesn't it? Intimacy collapses when you can't rely on them anymore. Intimacy collapses in that. And that is an unhealthy marriage because trust has been broken. And can I just give you some hope for a minute? If that is a picture of your marriage, if that is a model of it right now, there is great hope in Christ Jesus. And while it'll take a long time to gain that trust back, that commitment is there in that relationship. And the believer is said to walk an extra mile, to turn the other cheek. And that doesn't mean all the sins have been fleshed out and worked out. That doesn't mean that everything now is under the bridge and you should just move on. Trust has to be increased through what? Through knowledge of one another, not through intimacy, through knowledge of one another. So you have to get back on page and you have to start that relationship almost all over again. Now here's what a healthy dating relationship looks like. You're gonna know somebody, that's the goal of it. You're gonna know, you're gonna go, you're gonna know, you're gonna start to trust eventually because you know them and because you trust them, you can start to rely on them. Because you rely on them, you can start to commit to them. But touching, where's that? It's nowhere to be found yet. Why? Because you don't really know them, you don't really trust them, you don't really rely on them, you haven't really committed to them. So why give yourself over to them physically? It's just not there yet. Because healthy relationships don't start with touch, they start with knowing. Yet we've got that all wrong. Like you just think through it right now. How did your dating relationships go? Listen, for the majority of it, it was very promiscuous. And did you know that in the United States, we are the most sexually promiscuous nation in the world? Did you know in the United States, no one has casual sex like we have casual sex? Did you know like in the United States, most people keep their virginity rather than lose their virginity before marriage? Did you know that we are an anomaly? Did you know that the way we are doing things is completely backwards from the way in which any psychologist, secular or Christian would tell us how to do a relationship? And yet we think we know better, but it is leading us to the greatest divorce rate than any other nation in the world and the greatest heartache in relationships than the world has ever come to know. And we've done this backwards because here's what our relationship models look like in courting and dating. They look like this. Let's get our hands all over each other. Let's do whatever we want to do. Let's find out if the milk is any good before we buy the cow. And so we don't know you. We don't trust you. We don't rely on you. We don't commit to you. But man, we will go and we will be intimate with one another in a deeper way than we should ever be. We will go further with one another. We will round all the bases. But we don't know you. And what happens? What happens here, guys? When you start to get to know them and you've already given yourself over to them sexually, you are caught because you've glued yourself to them. The two have become one and it is misery for you and it is an attachment psychologically, emotionally, heart, soul, mind, and strength is now connected and you're trying to tear it apart and you will never be the same again. I'm teaching how to swim today. And for some of you, you've been drowning because you've done it wrong. And to say that you've done it wrong doesn't mean you can't find grace or forgiveness or help or you can't find yourself being whole. But today is the day where it's a wake-up call to say, let's get it right, church. And let's start being the culture setters rather than just trying to keep up with what the culture is trying to tell us on how to get relationships right because everyone's been doing it wrong. I've never met in any single counseling with relationships, couples come in and say, we are so thankful that before we got married or before we committed ourselves to each other that we slept around with a bunch of people. We are so thankful for that. It's really helped us out, preacher. 
All this touch that we've had, it's really, no, no one says that. And every psychologist would tell you, no, 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 don't touch, talk, talk, don't touch, talk. And yet we're like, no, we got this figured out. And Solomon is sitting here saying, no, 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 you don't got this figured out. I thought, I thought I did it right once, but I got it wrong 99 times. And let me tell you about the one time I got it right. We talked. We dated. And found a commitment. And we pledged ourselves to be married. Then after our marriage, we consummated that marriage. And that was the greatest relationship I had. One out of a thousand. If you want to start a healthy, meaningful relationship with one another in the context, it starts with getting to know one another. And that is any relationship on earth and in heaven. So let me talk about the heavenly relationship you should be having right now with your God. The relationship that should be most important to you. Because God says, listen, I, I get it. You don't trust me. You won't rely on me. You won't commit to me. And you don't feel my presence in your life because you don't know me. There's a lot of people right now that are claiming, I know God, but you're not feeling his presence and you're not committing to him. You're not relying on him. Do you really know him or are you working on secondhand information? Because really getting to know him is getting back into his word and finding him in his word. And friends, the more I get to know God in his word, the more I commit to him, rely on him, trust him, the more I feel his presence in my life. And here's how Jesus says is the beginning and the start of the relationship that you can have with God. Look at, look at the words he uses in John 17. And this is the way to have eternal life to know you. Did you catch that? This is the way, oh wait, is it the way to have eternal life is to feel your presence? No. It's the way to have eternal life is to make this great commitment to you? No. It's the way to have eternal life, uh, to have this reliance on you? No. To trust you? No, no, no. What is it? To get to know God. Just to understand who he is in his word. To get to know God and to start to figure him out and, and though you may have doubts, you just continue to dig deep into his word, not on some secondhand information, but information for yourself. God, what is it that this word says about yourself? And as you get to know God, you start to commit to him, rely on him, trust him, and feel his presence in your life. And if that is true of God, if that's the way Jesus says, this is the way you begin a relationship with him, that's the way we begin a relationship with one another. So Solomon and Jesus and even this doctor who's a secular, they all agree this. Every meaningful, healthy relationship begins with knowing one another. Every meaningful, healthy relationship begins with knowing one another. Talking, not touching. So let me help you uncomplicate, say some things as we close. In dating. First, get to know and then allow the relationship to grow. Like just get to know each other. Then, then let it grow. Let it foster. Let it become what it needs to become. Make an investment of time. Listen, if the date goes well, great. Just go on another date. If it doesn't, duck, duck, goose. Okay, we're out of here. Like, as quick as I can be. And if that date turns into another date, listen, you're asking questions, you're getting to know, and you're finding out some things. And listen, as the knowledge goes up, so does the trust. And as the trust goes up, so does the reliability. And as the reliability goes up, so does the commitment. But the touch, that's not going to get up for a long, long time. Because what's the goal of all this? The goal of any relationship, Philippians chapter two, verse two is simple. Live in harmony and live in love as though you only had one mind and spirit between you. Live in harmony and live in love as though you had one mind. How will you ever know and get on the same page unless you start to know and talk? You know, this Valentine's Day, it's like, I, I know what's gonna happen. I know what's gonna happen in a couple days. We are gonna get phone calls and text messages from folks all over our community and they're going to say, preacher, we are so in love. We don't want this moment to pass. Are you available to marry us? And we'll say no. But we'll ask a few questions before we say no. 
We'll say, how long have you been together? And here's common, common time around, the, around this time is common. A couple weeks, but we don't want to miss out on this. <laughs> a couple of weeks, like seriously? Okay, around this time, there's Cupid and he shoots his arrow and they're stupid. He shoots his arrow too, okay? They're both there. And they're trying to raise this level of commitment with one another without knowing each other. And so like you just want to say like, do you know how they're going to react when you like just kind of blurt out your past hurt? Some past mistakes, some past relationships. Do you know how they're going to react? No, you don't. You don't know that yet. Do you know if they're going to fight fair in the relationship? Oh, you haven't had a fight yet? No, we never fight. You haven't been around each other long enough to fight. Do you know how they're going to act when the money gets low? Do you know how they're going to react when the boss demands more time from you and you're away from them less? Do you know how they're going to react when they're hurt? Do you know how they're going to react when they celebrate? Do you know they're going to react when your hairline recedes and your waistband you know, goes bigger and expands? Do you, do you know that? No. Yeah, you're not ready. There's what's called the 90-day rule. It's a, it's a very true rule in psychology. The 90-day rule says about half of all dating attractions are altered significantly by what someone learns about the other in 90 days. So about 90 days time, most relationships break apart in 90 days because you've learned something negatively usually about them and you go, I can't deal with that. I'm not gonna deal with that. And if you start raising these levels besides no, like go back to that relationship model for a second. Look at this. If you, if you start with touch first and you don't know them, boom, it's gonna explode. And just think 90 days and you're like touching each other and you're just, you've gone further than you should with them and you've given yourselves over to them physically. Listen, and you're like, oh no, now I know this about them and I can't live with someone who I know this about and I don't trust them now, I don't rely on them. Oh, but boy, I, I, it's gonna be very difficult to call that off. Okay, let me give you a second way to uncomplicate the dating relationship. First is get to know and allow the relationship to grow, but look for someone to compliment you, not complete you. I talked about this when it related to our marriage uncomplicating. A big mistake and a big mindset that, that singles have is I need somebody to complete me. If you're a believer in Christ, you don't need anybody to complete you. You see, to say even the idea that you need someone to complete you is to say that you're incomplete. And if you're a believer, you are not incomplete. Christ Jesus completes you. And you need to know that you are his kid. You're his daughter. You're his son. And he completes you. You're whole. And dating is not about finding someone who completes you. It's about finding someone who will compliment you in your relationship with Christ Jesus. Some of you are like, you're telling me this now? Because that's what it's about. As a believer, I'm going to find someone who compliments me. And helps me grow in Christ Jesus and even challenges me to be more like Christ Jesus. You remember when Adam was alone without someone to compliment him in life? God said, hey man, take a look at these animals. Are they, you think you can live with one of these things? He's like, no, man, I can't, God, there's not a chance. And God said, no, I knew there wasn't a chance. It's not good for you to live alone. And I'll make you a suitable helper that's just right for you. Now, here's what we've come to believe, that men and women are so different, we're too different, we're not even compatible. But that's not what God said at all, did he? He said, I'm going to create for you a helper who's what? Just right for you. Different, but compatible. And friend, I know there's somebody that are looking right now for Mr. Right, Mrs. Right. Like, you know, there's that certain someone out there. Listen, you're, you're going to hate this. I don't totally believe that. 
I believe Christians can love anybody. I believe because we're called to anybody, we can learn to be committed to anybody regardless. But because of the way we're set up in this Western world, find somebody who you're most compatible with and find and make sure you're not looking for them to complete you, but to be compatible with you so that they can challenge you to become more like Christ Jesus. I was told that dating is like pushing your tray along a buffet line. Nothing looks great, but you'll never know until you try. So I said that to somebody in the office who was single. And the response of that guy was, no, no, no. Dating is like a buffet. You can have as much as you want and none of it's any good. I don't know what your attitude is towards it, but I know this. If you're looking for someone to complete you, you're looking to the wrong man or woman. You need to look to Christ Jesus. And then you need to find someone to compliment you in your faith. Here's another way to uncomplicate it. Ask, seek, knock. Ask, seek, knock. That should be the progression of a prayer that you should have as Jesus invites us to pray and ask anything of him. Even for God, would you align me with my next spouse? That, that's an appropriate prayer. Here's what he says. Ask and it will be given. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open to you. In verse eight, here's the, just the absolute promise of Jesus. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be open. But that's usually not our approach to dating. Here's the approach of most. Pray, wait, and hope. Just pray, wait, and hope rather than ask and seek and knock. So you should be asking and seeking of the Lord and knocking on the door of heaven and being, trying to get to know him the best way you can. But at the same time, you need to keep, some of you are like, listen, I'm done with men, man. I'm, I'm, just, I'm dating Jesus from here on out. Well, that's good and all. But listen, that, that's not gonna get you a spouse, just dating Jesus. Like you still gotta go on some dates, right? You still need to be praying, God, I'm asking you here. Send a man or woman into my life that that knows you, loves you, and will compliment me. And I'm, I'm seeking that out. I'm gonna, I'm gonna stay toward, listen, I know there's a lot of bad apples out there, but don't let one bad apple ruin the whole barrel, right? You need to keep knocking on God's door. Like some of you right now, you're persistent. Like you know, you know, like I, you're, you just know in your heart that you, you have somebody out there. And it's been a long time. Of you are like, listen, I'm, I don't need anybody. I'm fine. That's good. I think God calls people to that as well. But some of you who are single, you're like, I know God's got somebody out there for me. You keep knocking, keep working through it, and you keep God at the center of it all. Here's the fourth thing. There's only one question that must be answered on a first date, and it's not, are you a vegan or not? That's not the first question that needs to be answered. First question is, do you want to go on a second date? Here's the fifth thing. Can you unequally be yoked in more ways? You can be unequally yoked in more ways than one. You see, God's word is clear here. God's word is clear. That for any believer, they need to be pursuing somebody, whether dating, courting, or marriage, that is already a believer. Did you catch me? Already a believer. And you hear that term unequally yoked all the time. I'm sure when we talk about marriage stuff and dating, it comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. Do not be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. For whatever partnership has righteousness with lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness. It's just... It's just saying, listen, you're going to create all these headaches and unnecessary, unnecessary struggles that don't need to be there because the most foundational thing about your life should be your faith. And because it's the most foundational thing about your life, it should be the most foundational thing about your relationships. It should be the most foundational thing about your courtship and about your marriage. But when it's not, it can become very hurtful very quickly. And some of you are like, yeah, but preacher, come on, you know, you know me. I, I, I'm like, I'm, Every man I date, I bring into this church. 
Like you're a missionary dater. I don't know what you're doing. Like, I don't know. Like, listen, man, they're going to church with me now. I got them going to church with me now. Listen, I found them in the bar. Now I'm like, what are you doing at the bar first off? And then what, what's this all about? And now we're at church and, and listen, I don't know exactly. We're going to make some next steps. We're going to do some things. And it's like, you can't make him do anything. You can't make, and guess why he's at church? Guess why he's at church with you? Only because he likes you. Not because he's liking Jesus. He likes you. And so don't be so manipulative when it comes to your faith. How about you just lay it out there and say, man, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord and, and we're not a household yet. And my faith is precious to me and that's the foundation of my life. And it doesn't seem to be the foundation of your life. So duck, duck, goose. I'm gone. I'm not even going to try that missionary dating stuff. Listen, some of you tried and it's gotten you nowhere. Some of you tried and you're married now and you're still trying. Faith must be a must. Also, you need to check out their family. Because you can fall in love with somebody, but you know you're bringing the family in with it. And I'll just say it like this. You can't marry a prince without getting the whole royal family. Don't believe me? <laughs> Ask Meghan Markle. <laughs> she got the whole family. Here's the last thing. Here's the best way to uncomplicate dating. Seek God first and his righteousness then. Okay, that's scripture. Jesus had taught us that. Very powerfully, he brings life into focus when we start getting life all confused and messed up. He starts bringing relationships into focus when our relationships start to get foggy. And he says simply, but more than anything else, but more than anything else, put God's work first and do what he wants then. More than anything else, put God first and do what he wants then. The other things will be yours as well. Seek first Christ's kingdom and his righteousness, then dot, dot, dot. Friends, of all the relationships that you could ever have, the relationship that exists with God is the most important. And he says, you seek me first and you follow my standards, then then go look for a spouse. Then go date some people. Then court somebody. Then get into a covenant of marriage. But seek me first and follow my standards. Then, then pursue. You see, prioritize Christ Jesus comes first. You want to know why prioritizing Christ Jesus comes first in any relationship? Because healthy people create healthy relationships. And Jesus says, you get this thing right, you get me right in your life, there will be spiritual health there. There'll be depth to you. You'll be a well-rounded man or woman, heart, soul, mind, and strength. And when you're healthy, things around you typically will be healthy. And you'll start looking the right way. It won't be after lust, it'll be for love. It won't be for a one-night stand, it'll be for commitment till death do you part. And where does it start? Here's where it starts. By getting to know who God is through Christ Jesus. By getting to know who God is through Christ Jesus. Some of you are like, man, sign me up, I'll commit. No, get to know who God is through Christ Jesus. Get to know him. Because when you get to know him, you'll start to trust him. And when you start to trust him, you're going to rely hard on him. And when you start to rely hard on him, you're going to start committing your life to him. When you start committing your life to him, you're going to feel his presence in your life. And you're going to recognize it in all areas. In sadness and sorrow and celebration and hurt. But friends, it begins with knowing God through Christ Jesus. 
Do you know him? Is that the start of the relationship for you? And if you don't, why not get to know him today? You pray with me? Lord, we want to get our relationships right. And it's, it's just so easy to talk about, but I know, man, in, in the moments it's so hard to deal with and to climb over pride and to climb over some lust and to climb over just our own selfishness and to climb over all the stuff that holds us back from being the right man and woman in the relationship. And we truly want and desire to seek you and your righteousness and then allow all this stuff to follow and to be men and women that are, that are just on target spiritually and are loving you incredibly and knowing you. And the more we're knowing you daily, we're just trusting and committing and relying and feeling your presence in our life. But we don't get that right. And we're sorry when we, when we choose a different priority. And we ask for your forgiveness because today we want to make that first step in the right direction. And even though we might have messed it up 999 times, we rely on your grace today. We rely on your mercy. We rely on you to make us whole. We rely on you to forgive us. We rely on you to take away those, those maybe past guilts and those those things that we seem scarred by, by previous relationships where we've started it off wrong. Would you lead us through that? May your healing hand be upon us. May your spirit work within us. And Father, may we get the relationship with you right and relationship with others. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.